If you're able, if you would stand with me and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to start reading verse 1 down through verse 6. Apostle Paul is writing and he says this to the church that resides in Corinth. He says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Let's pray. Father, it's easy for us to come and worship you and to love you and to sing of you. It's also very easy for us to desire evil. And not the evil that is pronounced and the evil that is really, really ugly in the eyes of our society, but it's very easy for us to desire the little sins, the respectable sins, those things which are just as evil and just as ugly in your sight, even though they're not in ours. And so I pray this morning, as we go through and we think about what Paul is writing and how he illustrates his point from the life of the Israelites, that we would grasp just a glimpse of what it means to walk in holiness with you. I pray you'd help me this morning as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, can you believe it? We made it to chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians. And I know what some of you are thinking. I wish you would just really slow this thing down, Sean. You're moving way too fast for us. I I know, I know. I was originally going to go through verse 13 this morning, but I backed it off. We're just going to go through verse 6 today. I'm very excited, really, as we go through this book of Corinthians because... The more I study this book and the more I learn of the Corinthians, the more I see this mirror sort of being held in front of my face and and I see myself in the Corinthians. I respond like they do. I I think like they do. And so Paul comes along and and he's teaching and is admonishing and, and I feel the weight of that because I feel myself as though Paul is speaking just to me. And I hope that that's the case as, as you find yourself studying uh, through this book. As you might recall, chapters 8 through 10 of 1 Corinthians form a little unit in this book in which Paul is talking about Christian liberties. Christian liberties are those gray areas of life, those, those areas of life where it's neither right nor wrong necessarily to do this, um, but yet it has consequences Uh, Those areas where Christians struggle and they debate over what is right and what is wrong. The Corinthians are struggling over the question of whether or not they should eat meat offered to idols. It's not something that we struggle with in our contemporary culture, but the principles remain the same. 
the battle that they faced in their minds. How do they limit their liberties? When do they liber- limit, limit their liberties in order to love their neighbors? How, how do they do that? Now, you remember that Paul's sole ambition in all of his life is to preach the gospel and to make the good news of Jesus Christ known. And Paul knows that in order to do that, two things have to happen. One, you can't be an offense to those people that you're trying to share the gospel to. And secondly, in, a, in one way, you can't be an offense to the God whom you're trying to proclaim. So you've got to remove the barriers between you and the person that you're trying to share the gospel with. And you also need to make sure that you're living in such a way that when you share the gospel, that person doesn't look at your life and say, wait a minute, that's not how I think your God works. And so this is Paul's dual ambition as he writes chapters 8 through 10. Chapter 9 was primarily talking about how we can be an offense to others. Chapter 10, which we're going to start in this morning, Paul's concern is toward believers who disqualify themselves from preaching the gospel because of the way that they use their liberties. Really, the key verse in all of this first section of chapter 12 comes, or, uh, chapter 10 comes in verse 12. And if you look at verse 12, he says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul understands that as believers, we can become lazy. We can begin to show a lack of discipline. And when that happens in the life of a believer, when a believer becomes lazy, and when a believer begins taking his liberties and his freedoms for granted, he will almost inevitably begin this slide back toward the lifestyle that he left. And so Paul wants to make sure that this doesn't happen. And so he's issuing this warning to the Corinthians. He says, be careful. Take heed. When you think you're standing, that's when you can fall. That's when problems can come. To make his point, Paul points all the way back to the life of the Israelites and their exodus out of Egypt. In verse 6, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but in verse 6 he says, now these things... These things, these life of the, the Israelites that I'm getting ready to tell you about, these things took place as examples for us so that we might not desire the evil like they did. Now, to really understand what Paul is getting ready to say here, we need to understand God's plan for the nation of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. The Israelites were captive in Egypt for about 400 years they were slaves of the, of the Egyptians there. And through some miraculous events, God brings them out of Egypt. There are ten plagues that he pours down on the Egyptians. And through those and through uh, the uh, parting of the Red Sea, uh, God brings out of Egypt this nation for himself. And his design is that he would establish this nation for the express purpose of showing his glory to all of the other nations around. As the Israelites obeyed the law that God gave them, God blessed them. He gave them provisions. He gave them power. He gave them possessions. They were to become this great and awesome nation. They were to be the witness for the God who blesses. 
They were to be the light to the nations, this nation of Israel. That was their purpose in their establishment. But yet as the Israelites would disobey, God's glory would be diminished and he would have to discipline them. He would have to bring them back to a correct understanding of who they were and what they were supposed to do. It's this pattern that we'll see that Paul lays on top of the Corinthians. And he says, listen, Corinthians, you've been blessed just like the Israelites. You have all kinds of possessions. You have all kinds of power. You have all kinds of knowledge. You are supposed to be a blessing and a light to the people around you. You are supposed to be, church at Corinth, my witness to that city and the surrounding areas of the awesome and the mighty God that you serve. But here's the problem, Corinthians. You're beginning to abuse some of those freedoms you have. You're beginning to take for granted some of those blessings that you have. And as you fail to limit your liberties, Corinthians, you're sliding back into some of those old patterns of behavior that you used to exhibit. Those things which you were saved from. And now you're beginning to look just like your pagan counterparts. And you're no longer being a witness for me. God does not take kindly to his name being smeared. And he will make sure that the ultimate glory that's due to him will come. And if he has to remove some people in order to make way for others who will be a witness for him, he will do that very thing. He will remove some people in order to bring along effective witnesses for himself. You see, his grace gives us freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the curse of sin. Freedom in Christ. And that freedom is designed to mature us. It's designed to strengthen us. But when a Christian gets to the place where he's so confident in his maturity when he's so confident in his strength that he thinks he can handle anything, then he's at a very precarious place. Let me give you just a couple examples so you can start to think along these lines. I have the freedom to go watch a rated R movie if I want. I have that freedom. I can do it if I want to. I don't have to. There's no law against it. I'm old enough. I can go. It's true. I can go watch the rated R movie. But if I take that liberty and I begin watching that movie and because of it, I begin seeing things that my mind ought not to be thinking on and that causes me to revert back to old behaviors, old sin patterns that I used to indulge in, perhaps it wasn't a good idea that I began go watching those movies. This is what Paul's talking about. I have the freedom, if I want, to go to a beer party. There's nothing that prohibits that. I can go if I want. I'll just sit in the corner and study my Sunday school lesson. I can go to the party as, long, as often as I want, right? But if exercising that liberty puts me in a place where I'm tempted to sin, and as a result of that temptation, I in fact do begin sinning and do begin falling back into those old patterns, I very quickly become ineffective as a witness for the God that I profess to love. This is Paul's point. 
Paul is concerned that these Corinthians have taken their liberties too far. And because of exercising the legitimate liberties that they had, they were falling back into old sin patterns. And because of that, God was getting ready and in fact will learn that he is bringing discipline in their lives. Why? Because they're no longer effective in promoting the gospel. So let's see how he sets this up. Let's see how the Israelites were blessed and then how they experienced the discipline of God. Look at verse 1. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Paul looks at the Israelites and he says, these are our fathers. Uh, They were the first in the family of God and we now, or you now as Gentiles, are brought into this family. They are your spiritual fathers. And look what he says about them. They were all, every single one of them, all under the cloud. Look at verse 2. They were all, every single one of them, baptized into Moses. Verse 3. They all ate the spiritual food. Verse 4. They all drank from the same spiritual drink. Five times in these verses, Paul stresses the fact that every single Israelite was blessed. And every single Israelite had the duty to be a witness for God. God blessed them. He called them to be a witness. God provided for them. He called them to be a light to the nations around them. Five different times. Let's look what these blessings are. Number one, they were all under the cloud. If you remember the story of the Israelites, God led them by a cloud during the day. At night, the cloud would be this pillar of fire. But everywhere they went, the glory of God would lead them. It was supernatural guidance. Some people struggle today in saying, I wonder what God's will for me is. I wonder what God wants me to do. I think it would have been pretty cool to be an Israelite because you wouldn't have had to worry about that. When you get up in the morning and you open the the doors on your tent, when the cloud moves, you move. If the cloud goes right, you go right. If the cloud goes left, you go left. There's no question of what God's will was. You just followed the cloud. It was supernatural guidance. God was making it easy for them to follow him. Secondly, at the end of verse 1, he says they all passed through the sea. That was supernatural protection. The Red Sea parted and all of the Israelites went across dry ground. The Egyptians were coming behind them. The Israelites went across and the sea closes up. It was divine protection, divine supernatural protection over their lives. It was a blessing that they enjoyed. Look at verse 2. They were all baptized into Moses. Baptism, it means an identification with. It means I identify with this person. If I'm baptized as a Christian, then I'm identifying with Christ. The Israelites were baptized into Moses. That meant they identified themselves with Moses as their leader. And Moses was a supernaturally empowered shepherd He was the one that God blessed to lead his people out of Egypt and into the the promised land. They had supernaturally empowered shepherds. 
It was amazing, the blessings that the Israelites had. Look at verse 3. Blessing upon blessing, they, they all ate the same spiritual food. The Israelites had no food, enough food to wander through the wilderness, and so God provided this wonderful food called manna out of heaven. Paul calls it a spiritual food, not because uh, it, it was something weird necessarily. It was a real food, but it was provided by supernatural means. By spiritual means, God would let down the manna. It was supernatural provision. So they had supernatural protection. They had supernatural provision. They had supernatural guidance. These guys were blessed left and right. Verse 4 says, they all drank the same spiritual drink. You remember the story uh, when the Israelites got thirsty in the wilderness? What, what did Moses do? He went over and he spoke to the rock and the rock gushed forth water. It was enough water to nourish all of them. There's an interesting uh, tradition that the Jews held, even up until the time of Paul. The Jews held this tradition that that rock that provided the water followed them around wherever they went. That literally there was this rolling boulder that every time the cloud moved and every time the Israelites moved, this boulder would sort of roll along behind them. And when they got thirsty, it would open up and, and it would drink. Well, Paul comes along and he says, you know, I understand the tradition, but let me, let me set it right here. There's no rolling boulder. Look what he says at the end of verse four. He says, the rock was... Who? Christ. He says Christ was providing your needs. It was the pre-incarnate Christ who came along. It wasn't a rolling boulder. In fact, the word that's used for the rock is really more of a, a cliff. And so the cliff would open up and the water would gush forth. And Paul says, Christ himself was with you. He provided your water. So you had wonderful food, you had wonderful water, you had wonderful leadership, you had power, you had protection, you had all of the blessings you could possibly enjoy under the care of God. And because of those blessings, Israelites, you are to be the witnessing machine for God. The other nations should look at you and say, that is unbelievable how they, their God provides everything. Their God provides their food. Their sandals don't wear out. God provides their water. They came through the Red Sea unharmed. That is amazing. That must be the one true God. That must be the God of the universe. We want to know that God. That's what the Israelites were supposed to do. And Paul says, just like that, Corinthians, and to us he would say, just like that, Providencers, you enjoy the blessings of God. You have supernatural guidance in the Holy Spirit. You have supernatural leadership in Jesus Christ. You've been baptized into him you have supernatural provision. You've been blessed physically. You've been blessed intellectually. You've been blessed financially. Not to mention all of the gifts of the Spirit. You have been blessed abundantly by God. And because of your witness, when people look at you and say, 
Look how their God takes care of them. You Corinthians, you providencers are to be the witnessing machine of God. But what happened? What went wrong with the Israelites? Look at verse 5. Nevertheless, despite all the provision, all the guidance, all the blessing, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, this is a verse an understatement of massive proportions. When he says, with most of them, God was not pleased, let's define the word most. Historians tell us that there were approximately two million people that left Egypt during the Exodus. Two million people, that was men, women, and children. It was a massive crowd that crossed the Red Sea, that went into the wilderness. Two million souls. Out of those two million, do you know how many of them over the age of 19 actually entered the promised land? Two. Two. Joshua and Caleb. When, mo- when, when Paul says, with most of them, God was not pleased, every man and woman over the age of 19, with the exception of two, were destroyed in the wilderness. Their bodies were scattered. If you do the math on a roughly two million people, Every day for 40 years, there were 90 funerals. Every day for 40 years, if you just averaged it out, there were 90 funerals. Not even Moses and Aaron made it into the promised land. What happened with all of the supernatural blessing with all of the guidance, with all of the provision, what happened? Here's the answer. The Israelites became too confident in the grace of God. They became too confident in their ability to stand in the midst of all of the pagan activity that was taking place around them. They had liberties, and with those liberties, they began dabbling. They began hanging out with some of the pagan neighbors. They began taking pagan wives. They began to sin with their bodies. They then began to grumble against God's provision. They began to grumble against God's leaders. We'll look at all of that in detail next week. But in spite of all of the blessing that they enjoyed they began to take advantage of it. They were too confident in their own abilities. They thought they were strong. They thought they were mature. And they dabbled. And they fell. And suddenly, 
this community that God called out of Egypt to be his great witnessing tool for his glory just became like all of its heathen neighbors. And in so doing, they became useless to God in his plan for being a witness to him and to his utmost glory. And so what did God do? He disciplined them. He disciplined them. And it was severe. Only two people over the age of 19 made it into the promised land. And when we go back to this book of Corinthians and we look at verse 6 when Paul says, Now, these things, this discipline that took place to the Israelites in spite of their blessings, these things took place as an example for us. For us. Corinthians, you have every spiritual blessing from God. And every blessing you have comes through the gospel. The gospel that says you didn't deserve it. You were a sinner. The gospel that says you were apart from God, but he sent Jesus to die for you. And he rose again on the third day. The gospel that says by faith, if you believe and trust and repent of your sins, you can be free and you will be free indeed. You have freedom from the curse of sin. You have freedom from the curse of, uh, from the law. You have freedom from all of the ceremonies of the old Egypt, the old Testament. You're free. But here's the problem, Corinthians. That freedom that you enjoy is subject to abuse. And you're abusing it. You're going too far. You're taking your freedoms too far. You think you're mature. And as a result, you're entering those old sin patterns. You're hanging out in the temples. And some of you, he says, are beginning to worship idols again. You're dabbling around with sexual things. And some of you, he says in chapter 5, are sleeping with your stepmothers. You're dabbling around with knowledge, with all this intellectual Greek philosophy, and you're becoming wise in your own eyes. And as a result, you're beginning to question and you're beginning to grumble against your leaders. Paul says, yes, you have liberties, but you're going too far. It's causing you to sin. It's causing you to go places where you don't want to go. And the result is this. You are becoming an ineffective witness for God. And instead of bringing him glory with your life, you are bringing shame on him. You're bringing ill repute on the glorious name of God. You're disqualifying yourself from being witnesses for God. And just like God disciplined the Israelites in the Old Testament, Corinthians, he's disciplining you. How do we know he's disciplining them? Well, hold your finger right there and turn one page to chapter 11. And we'll see the discipline of God that's taking place in this church at Corinth. Look at verse 27. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The Corinthians were coming to the communion table, to the Lord's table, and they were drunk. They were excluding the poor. They were acting like arrogant hypocrites. And as a result, they were becoming ineffective witnesses for what the Lord's table represented. So God is beginning to judge them. How? Look at verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill And some of you have died. Listen, friends. Paul is making a very clear point here. When the Israelites in the desert became ineffective witnesses for God, God removed them. He killed them in the wilderness. When the Corinthians became ineffective witnesses for God... God began removing them. In fact, some of them, he says, he killed them. He removed them because they were ineffective witnesses for him. Now listen, and listen closely. What makes us think that if God removed ineffective Israelites and God removed ineffective Corinthians, that he won't also remove ineffective providencers if we lose our witness for him now let me make sure you understand one thing here Paul is not talking about your salvation here Paul in fact Paul addresses these Corinthians as saints if you go back all the way to chapter 1 Paul addresses them as saints and even at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1 he calls them brothers there's an acknowledgement on Paul's part that these may very well be believers Paul is not setting up an argument here about whether or not a believer can lose his salvation that's not Paul's point here in fact he's erring on the assumption that they are believers They may or may not be, but he's erring on the side of saying, I believe that you are. What Paul is talking about here is the effective service in the kingdom of God. The effective witness in the kingdom of God. He's talking about the believer who disqualifies himself because he sins against the very grace that he possesses. And when a believer is no longer an effective witness to the glory of God, God has every right to remove that person. Do you understand? That's his point. That's what he's trying to discuss here. It's a very sobering thought. That's why, again, if you look at verse 12, the sober warning is this. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. There's a verse in Proverbs that's related to this. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now listen, listen to me. I know that we have many in this room who are wonderful witnesses for the Lord. I know that. 
I've seen their lives. They've been saved by grace. They make it their aim to be pleasing to God at their home, in their school, in their workplace, in their hobbies. These kind of people love the Lord and they're very sensitive in these gray areas. They don't abuse their liberties. They don't take advantage of them. They don't push the envelope. They don't disqualify themselves. They're running to get the prize and God is very pleased with that. I would encourage you, if you're one of those, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Don't ever quit. But I'm also painfully aware that there are others in this room who may very well be disqualified because of their ineffective witness for God. Their pride precedes them. Their haughtiness precedes them. They enter this room week after week, no Bible in hand, legs crossed, arms crossed, a look on their face that says, I dare you to teach me something. I dare you to tell me something I don't already know. They have no joy. They have no teachable spirit. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're critical. They think they can handle their freedoms. They they think they can handle their liberties. But it leads them into sin. They watch the movies. And eventually they begin acting like the people in the movies. They go to the parties with all of the best intentions. I'm going to witness for God. I'm going to, I'm going to bring these guys out. And yet, one party turns to another and turns to another and eventually they're participating in the very thing that they know God is displeased by. They go onto uh, Facebook. They love it. I do too. But they begin to look at pictures and, and they begin to lust in their heart. They begin to read all the things that are there and they develop this critical spirit within them. And eventually they come to the place uh, where they hate the very people that they read about on there. They begin telling other people how awful these folks are. Uh, they go to the coffee shop and, and they have all the best intentions And yet their liberties can't control their tongue. And they begin to share in the same stories that others share in. And listen, folks, I'm there with you. I struggle with some of these same things. My life's not perfect. And there are times when when I do things and I think, God, How can I do this and pretend to be an effective witness for you? I would encourage you, friend. You may or may not be saved. But let Paul's sober reminder and warning affect your life. If you are living in such a way that your witness for God is rendered ineffective then God has every right to remove you and bring you home to glory early if that's what it takes so that his glory is not diminished. Come to Christ before it's too late. Come back to him before it's too late. 
God has graciously given you all of his provision. Don't be like the child who strains through the chain link fence to try to reach what's on the other side. Be content with those boundaries. God put boundaries in your life for your good, for your glory. Don't push the envelope. Don't take your liberties to the extreme and wind up being ineffective for God. If you return to him, I promise he'll forgive you. If you turn your face to him like the prodigal son turned his face to his father, God will run to you and he will accept you and he will love you. My question that I want to ask you is this, and we'll end with this. Will you be like the two of the two million? Or will you be like the thousands upon thousands that were scattered in the wilderness because God had to discipline them for their good and for his glory. What will it be for you? Let's pray. God, you indeed have blessed us tremendously. You have given us so many gracious things. The first and foremost being life in your son. A life that can be lived in freedom. A life that enjoys you doing good for us. You've blessed us. You give us food to eat. You give us clothes to wear. You provide for our needs. You give us a family. You give us a church. You give us so many things. And yet it is so easy for us to take that all for granted to push those liberties, to begin slipping back into old patterns. And eventually we find that while we may be saved, while we still believe, our lives have become extremely ineffective. That in one sense, we are useless in our ability to witness. And so I pray, Father, that you would forgive us for those many times. Forgive us for our arrogance. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for ever approaching you and your word with some fake and awful idea that we can't be taught anymore, that somehow we know it all. Father, help us to be humble. Help us to be dependent. Help us to be willing to bow the knee. And Father, help us to be the kind of witnesses that would draw others to you. In school, I pray that our students would be powerful witnesses for how different lives can be lived. In our workplace, I pray as employees and as bosses that we would be completely different from the world, that we would look different, we would act different in our church, that we would be different. In our homes, that we would be different from from homes that don't have you. And Father, that our neighbors, our classmates, our friends would look at us and say, what kind of God do you serve? It's amazing. And that we could be witnesses for you. Father, help this warning to dig deep into our heart that when we begin to exercise our liberties, we'd be quick to think 
How is this going to affect me in the long run? I don't want to be disqualified. Help me, God, to be obedient to you. I pray you would help us in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.